Hi everyone and welcome back to Chicks Into The Pits. The past few weeks have been quite intense motorsport-wise. Uh, most championships we love are over or almost over and we're here to talk precisely about this. Yeah, so Formula One already has a champion, but with three races to go there are still plenty of things to, to discuss. And furthermore, Formula Two is steps away from crowning its winner for this year and the stakes are very high, as we'll see. Uh, in a moment. So let's dive straight into this episode. So, I mean, the Turkish GP, Marty, I think was a pretty exciting one for pretty much everybody. Fun fact, neither me nor Marty actually watched yeah. the Grand Prix, <laughs> like at the, uh, when it was aired. Like I personally watched it later, but I, I couldn't manage to, to watch it like live. Yeah, me neither, but it was absolutely fun to watch in my opinion um yeah I, I was also very happy to see Seb on the podium with Lewis on of course on that occasion because I felt like it, it was really meant to be like that I really like that um yeah I, I'm quite sorry that I didn't get to see it live because it would have been crazy but yeah uh I didn't get to do it I'm actually happy because, and I think that Sebastian actually really needed this. Uh, and I agree with you when you say, like, it, it looked pretty much meant to be that Seb and Luis uh, could uh, celebrate together on the podium. On the on the topic of Luis, of course, like a seventh world championship, extremely, extremely deserved. And, I, you know, it's crazy to think that there are many people who disagree about this. Yeah, I honestly don't know how someone can disagree on this, to be honest. Um, I'm the first person that didn't like Lewis uh, quite a lot, uh, especially, in, you know, in the past few years. But uh, I've gotten to, to like him as a driver and to fully understand that he actually deserves to be there he really does because you know you can't say that it's because of the car you can say everything you want but without that driver you know the car wouldn't be the same to be honest so i don't know i really don't understand when people try to minimize things like this because winning seven world titles means something you know you can win seven world titles because you're lucky no, but I mean, I really don't understand how, you know, the old school fans of motorsport, because let's be real, like, let's face it, most of our generation understands the value that Lewis Hamilton has to the sport and to the entire industry in general. It's mainly like slightly older fans that tend to be very critical of his achievements. The thing is, like, do they actually believe that their iconic heroes didn't win also because of the car like it's such a ridiculous argument uh, when you come into formula one like of course it's the car it, how can you even question that the the matter is there are actually two people driving the same car and clearly one cannot perform as good as the other so i i don't even understand when people go around saying like oh but the mercedes is so dominant we can all agree that the mercedes era in formula one has been extremely dominant and there have been like more contentious and more fought for 
title fights. Like, I, th I think we can agree on that. I remember, I don't know, the 2012 World Championship, for example. But the fact is that the best car almost always eventually prevails. So I don't understand why people are surprised or shocked by this. And I don't think that really takes anything away from um, Hamilton's talent in general. So yeah, it's it's kind of crazy because, you know, older motorsport fans are always going around saying that, you know, they have a, a deeper understanding of the sport uh, when compared to, you know, the younger generation. But when they try and make the argument that Lewis won because of the car, like they really show that this understanding either isn't there like entirely or is extremely biased and extremely skewed, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, you know, it's obviously also about the car. You, you, you can say that it's not about the car at all, but you've got to realize that Lewis Hamilton is an amazing driver. He is one of the best ever like statistically one of the best ever so you know you you can't just deny that you can just see what you want to see yeah it's kind of a false perception that people have and i understand that the in the united kingdom of course like we don't have you know first and testimony of that but in the united kingdom um, the honors role which is in case you don't know guys basically it's you know the highest uh, possible, you know, achievement you can get by the, the British crown. Uh, so the status of sir, of knight. Um, yeah. And basically the argument going around for about a decade, to be honest, by now, is that either Lewis already deserved a knighthood and he was denied a knighthood for all these years for some, you know, weird reasons, or people still going around saying that he doesn't deserve a knighthood. And uh, to be honest, you know, you know, guys, we don't, we are never afraid of getting political in here. But the thing is that I understand that a knighthood is not only deliver, delivered on sporting merits. And I mean, it, it, it's only right. It's not like a sporting achievement. It's an actual achievement of the crown. So mm. it should serve for the, the, the British nation as a whole uh, and for the society. So um, I would I would have understood that probably the the idea of knight in Hamilton I don't know six or seven years ago wouldn't have made as much sense as to knight him in now like not only he's probably the the biggest sports person in the United Kingdom as of now like you can say what you want but he's like the yeah he has won everything to be honest he, he has shattered all the records but it's also like such an important and pivotal and influential personality both in the sporting world and you know in society in general that it's very hard to deny that like he's campaigning for black lives matter and for the environment for climate change it's it's honestly undeniable and i think that a personality like his in the paddock is not only incredibly isolated as we've seen and as he's said already like numerous times but also very much needed yeah yeah for sure like i really appreciate as anyone should in my opinion his uh social commitment because it's really important in my opinion that someone finally brings these issues, we can call them issues, um, in, in a sport which has been extremely, I don't want to say 
a bad word, but how can I Let's say? Let's say it? that motorsport been... is far behind. Like it's yeah, far that's true. That <laughs> far behind. Far behind. A uh, bit affected by bigotry, let's say. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy that he's finally, uh, someone's finally talking about these issues in, in Formula One. And because of this social commitment that Lewis is, um, has gotten into, uh, I find that it's really important that he gets the knighthood because that really would mean, I mean, I mean, for sure it would mean the word to him. But socially i think it would be very important not only for british people but in general yeah absolutely i think that i don't know marty if you're up to date with this because marty doesn't follow um football slash soccer however you call it that much um but basically another you know big uh english sports personality is marcus rashford which is a footballer marty um and he's 23 yeah sorry I don't know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's 23 and, you know, he's part of the of the British national team as well. I mean, he's a very important footballer. He's a very relevant football footballer in the United Kingdom and internationally. And he has campaigned so hard for, you know, free school meals in the United Kingdom and, uh, you know, accessibility of education for everyone because, yes, apparently, like, Sorry if we, I don't know, sound like socialists, but to be honest, like the, the welfare system in Italy is very different compared to the welfare system in the United Kingdom. Like considering the United Kingdom actually has a problem of having children starve in schools because they cannot afford the school meal. Like this, honestly, this is something that in Italy would never happened. Uh, and has never happened. Like I remember, school meals for us, for me personally, yeah. have always been free. Like it's not even a question, right? And basically, apparently, it is a matter of contention in the United Kingdom, Marte. Um, and Marcus Rashford has provided, you know, many children in need uh, with enough funds to to get school meals and, you know, an education, books. Uh, and he's a black man as well. Uh, and he has been very vocal about the hardships of being a young black man in the United Kingdom. So I, I don't know how the honors work, to be honest. I don't know if only one person can be knighted. Uh, I don't think that's the way he works. I think, you know, even one, I don't know, two or three people can be knighted in the, in the same year. But I think, yeah, the, the only person that I could say, see stacking up to Lewis Hamilton under this perspective in the sporting world is Marcus, Marcus Rashford in the United Kingdom. It's a very interesting story, Marty. You should check him out, definitely. Yeah, I will, I will. But anyway, I mean, at least in the in the world of Formula One, his peers all understand that Luis is just, you know, who he is. And there's really no question on how to justify his success. Uh, he's just, you know, the, the I wouldn't say the goat because I don't believe there are goats in Formula One. And I don't think uh, that's the whole point. But he's definitely like... The, the biggest of his generation. And we say that as Sebastian Vettel fans, so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you know, if if I'm right, uh, Seb himself said something like this, like he said that Lewis is the best. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, he so, has to recognize that. So yeah, what can you say? I mean, let's acknowledge this and move on and love Lewis and everything. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always also a matter of circumstance. Like, surely Luis had been, have been, has been luckier in terms of, you know, the machinery he had as a, he had at his disposal, but uh, he's also been very good at, you know, grabbing the opportunity by the hair anytime yeah. he got it. Like, including the Turkish GP win. Like, if you think about that win alone, like, the way he carried out the entire race is an absolute masterclass. And it's proof that you, you cannot give Lewis Hamilton even a hint of a chance if you want to beat him. Like, you have to knock him out completely. Otherwise, he is going to come back stronger. Yeah, yeah. That, that win was really obviously well-deserved. And it was also actually fun to watch, which is something that Formula One is lacking a bit um, at the moment. So it, it was a fun race, you know, in in lots of in a lot of from a lot of points of view, in my opinion. It was absolutely fun and engaging for, for the public. Yeah, absolutely. And also like as much as I want to defend Bottas, but I think that this year has pretty much been, I don't know, a nail in the coffin for him. Like yeah. the amount of mistakes that he made this year, I think stack up even higher than at any time before, because this could have been his year, you know, this could have been like the amount of circumstances in which he could have capitalized on, you know, certainly a difficult situation for everybody um, is just astonishing. And honestly, he didn't, he didn't stuck up to the expectations we can say yeah so yeah i think like like most of all he lacks consistency and that's what he'll never you know that's why he'll never compare to lewis hamilton like hamilton's consistency is absolutely insane and i also think this is why max verstappen is probably the biggest contender for hamilton like Max is probably the only people on the grid that has the same amount of consistency at the highest level. Like, if, if you think about it, every single race this year, I can't remember if the Turkish GP is included in that or not, but basically, no, I think it's included, actually. Basically, every single race this year for Max either ended in a DNF, like a mechanical failure or stuff like that, mostly the unreliability of the car, or on him, you know, getting a podium position. Like, it's insane when you think that a driver can be as consistent and can only be stopped by, you know, actual failures of the car. It's amazing. I mean, you know how I have a soft spot for Verstappen, not as a person, of course, but as a driver. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Max, Max is Max. Um, so, yeah, I think he really is the only one that can compare at the moment, in my opinion. Yeah, he is extremely consistent and we've noticed this mainly this year, I'd say. But um, uh, as regards to Bottas, uh, you know, I had to write his um, post-race report uh, for, for the website we, we both write for. And uh, the fun thing was that... Um, he was obviously congratulating Joris um, on on the championship win, and he also said that like you you could feel from the interview that he was completely drained by that race. Like mm -hmm. he compromised the race at the at the very beginning. I honestly don't remember if 
he compromised actively his own race or if some other circumstance caused it to... No, it was basically his fault, to be honest. Like okay. he, had a, he had a bit of a collision at the start, which caused his front wing to go a bit rogue. Yeah. Like he lost um, a, a, a small parts of the end plate, I think, yeah. which, you know, resulted in a small aerodynamic loss. Like we can agree on that, but it wasn't that big of a deal. And then he kept on spinning and he actually spun like six times. The yeah, race. yeah. So, I didn't yeah. remember if the contact uh, he had at the beginning was because of Bottas himself or <laughs> the other driver. Um, but yeah, you you could really feel that he was completely drained from that race. He couldn't stand it no longer. And to be honest, I, I feel a bit pitiful if we can say that <laughs> for him because like seeing him spin that many times was fun but sad in some way <laughs> yeah it was kind say. of I, I felt some kind of a second-hand embarrassment yeah <laughs> like that was a feeling for me of course I pitied him but I was like oh man you really are not in the right headspace at the moment are you yeah like, yeah it was honestly like watching some races from Seb when you're there like and you know Marty me and you actually had that kind of commentary I remember a couple of occasions when we were comment uh, we were you know um commenting the race together and we went like okay it's one of those days for Seb like yeah you you can't even get angry at that point you're just like okay it's one of those days and it's okay I mean it happens but that's what you know really separates someone like Hamilton from someone like Bottas in the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's one of many factors, obviously, but uh, consistency is key. <laughs> so, uh, who, who said that in in the rookie, like, challenge? Who said that, Russell? Consistency is key. Yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was because he, he, in, the, in the PowerPoint, he basically had something like the most consistent qualifying position, which is always, you know, ranging oh, yeah. from P19 to P20. <laughs> yeah. It was like consistency is key. By the way, guys, we are actually referring to a very, very fun YouTube video um, from, uh, you know, Formula One last year. It was basically recorded at the end of the year, uh, which and it was a competition between um, Norris, um Albon okay. and uh, Russell on the best rookie of the year and yeah. basically they all had this fun you know powerpoints and poetry pieces and stuff to to go around and actually Russell's part is genuinely like genuinely funny I don't know if he came up with that himself like he looks like the type that could do that or if his social media manager took care of everything but it was hilarious honestly no, like it, you know I feel it was George who thought everything about that because he's an Aquarius, you know, he was born precisely <laughs> a day before I was born, so. Really? Same year. Yeah. Really? Birthday is that close? Yeah, same year, same month, one day apart. Oh, that's so cool. I had no idea. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, he really looks like the type, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any difficulty believing that he actually came up with that and even made the, the PowerPoints and everything, you know, with the animations and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, looks like something Russell would do. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, you made me think about, you know, last year rookies. Uh, what about this year's Formula 2, Marty? It's a very interesting fight. 
Yeah, I honestly don't know what I hope for the last races, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, the situation is, you know, the stakes are very high because we still have no idea who might win the championship. Uh, we have Mick Schumacher with a uh, 22-point advantage, am I right? Uh, 29, I think it's 29, 20. really? Yeah. I, I'm oh, not God. sure about that, but anyway, yeah, it's a very, you know, close margin. Okay, I thought it was 22. Anyways, um, yeah, the margin is very close, obviously. And I honestly don't know who to cheer for because, obviously, um, Mick Schumacher has proven that he has the talent which is necessary to be up in those categories. But I also love with all of my heart Carl Milot so um I really don't know uh what are my hopes uh, I can't wrap my head around that but I guess we'll have to see what happens because with two races remaining it's really hard to even think about what may happen because Formula 2 is a crazy championship and Absolutely. this year we've seen lots of crazy stuff in Formula 2 so um it should be very interesting yeah, I mean, you know, thinking about it, I think you're actually right. It is a 22-point advantage because I was thinking about, you know, the the, the total points and basically uh, Mick Schumacher is at 151 and Eilert is on 129, so it makes sense. It's a 22 margin. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, Formula 2 is absolutely unpredictable and to be honest, uh, you know, I've never had much... I, w I was never like a big Mick Schumacher fan. I, I have to be honest with you. Um, honestly, I thought, uh, previously, I thought he was a bit overrated in the in the junior categories. And I mean, this isn't even his first year in Formula 2. So we can't say he has been, has, you know, bright star as, I don't know, Leclerc or Russell. But that does, of course, that doesn't mean that he doesn't deserve a seat in Formula 1. I mean, Formula 2 is a very competitive category. And especially this year, to be honest, the quality of the grid, I think it was one of the highest in the, in the past few years. So, yeah, I mean, eventually he managed to prevail and he proved me wrong, to be honest. Like, he came into Formula 2 and I was like, I don't think he'll go any further than that based on performance alone. Of course, I, I already knew he was going to, to go into Formula 1 someday because, come on, it's not like you are the exact copy of your father, Michael Schumacher, and you don't get into Formula 1. It's a business. We, we understand that. But he actually proved that he also has the skill to back it up. Uh, but yeah, as, as you previously said, Kalumala Ailos is such an underrated driver. He's actually a very good driver, and I think he absolutely deserves a shot. And I was gutted for him when he couldn't even have that FP1 outing at the Nürburgring. Yeah. I was like, come on! Yeah, yeah, I was sorry for that too, a lot. But you know what? Um, I also thought that uh, at the beginning, like, Mick Schumacher was a bit overrated because... You know, you're kind of influenced into thinking something like that, in my opinion, because like, and and it's something that I'm I'm a bit sorry for him about because obviously when you when you bear that name, people will look at you. Absolutely. You you'll have lots of eyes on you, and you feel the pressure 
I I think a lot more than any other driver, to be honest. Yeah, um, it must be insane for him. Yeah, I mean, just think about, I don't know, Bruno Senna. He has that surname. He isn't even his son. But, you know, lots of people had their eyes on him only because of, of, the, of the name. So... Yeah, I, I mean, think... which is a pity what happened to him, to be honest, because he's kind of shining in uh, in the in endurance racing. Yeah. So I'm happy for him eventually. <laughs> yeah, finally. <laughs> but yeah, you know, at the beginning, I thought that um, Mick was kind of overrated, may- maybe because of uh, of his father. But in the end, he proved that he he has that talent. So. Maybe it's a bit early, in my opinion, to think about Formula One. I think he still has to to grow quite a lot before um, actually having a real shot uh, in Formula One. But yeah, I mean, I like him better than I liked him at the beginning, I think. Yeah, same here. And I mean, I would agree that in normal conditions, it would be a bit too early for him to progress into into Formula One. Uh, But the thing is, I mean, you, uh, now, nowadays we're all, all in the belief that uh, you should be already like a top driver to come into Formula One. But I think you can garner experience and you can also grow into Formula One. Yeah, even absolutely. If you, if you, like, I wouldn't say even if you don't deserve it, because I mean, the whole point is about being deserving of Formula One. Uh, but even if you're not like a perfect driver with all the stamina and the, the mindfulness and everything that is needed to shine, like I've seen, we've seen Verstappen, right? Of course, the super license rules were not as strict as they are now. And, you know, we, we couldn't possibly have a Verstappen in a, nowadays because it wouldn't be admitted. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he came into Formula One, he was 17, he was hot-headed, he crashed a lot, and now he's like respected as one of the brightest talents in the whole circus. So yeah. you can grow into Formula One. You have to be given time to do that, which is yeah, something obviously. that Red Bull did. Uh, other, other teams don't. Like I think about, you know, Kevin Magnussen in McLaren, he wasn't given time. Uh, Sofa Van Dorn in uh, in McLaren again, he wasn't given time. Uh, so yeah, you have to be given time and to be given trust, but you can get better in Formula One. Yeah, sure. I mean, in the end, it's it's about growing. You know, even again talking about Lewis Hamilton, he wasn't the driver he is today when he first started in Formula One. Obviously, um, the fact I, I kind of tend to worry a bit about when when it comes to this is that, you know, I think, okay, this is a young driver. He is brilliantly talented. What happens if something goes wrong at the beginning, Formula One, and I don't know, his uh, his team burns down completely his career. You know, uh, it's something I tend to worry about quite a lot. So thinking about, for example, Yuki Tsunoda, who, is, who has proven to be an incredible driver, um, and thinking about him being a Red Bull in, like, not a lot of time, I just get so worried. Yeah, same. Like, for in the case of Red Bull, I think you, you have good reason to be worried. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't be worried about Mick Schumacher because, honestly, he will be given time. Like, yeah. it's not like they would fire Mick Schumacher after one season because it wouldn't make absolutely zero sense. But, yeah, 
you know, deep inside of me, I'm like, please don't burn Yuki Tsunoda out. Please don't. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. praying for him, honestly, every night, basically. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, going back to, you know, Callum Island and uh, underrated drivers, from from a perspective, I actually hope he doesn't win the championship. Because the thing is, when you win Formula 2, you cannot enter another Formula 2 season. And uh, since this year, I think it's pretty obvious that there's no no seats for him available in Formula 1. I wouldn't like to see Calamares actually winning this championship and finding himself, himself way out of Formula 2 and just sitting an entire year out or immediately being chucked to uh, endurance racing and to GT racing. I mean, of course, I do cover GT racing and endurance racing mostly, so I would love to see him there. But, I mean, I think he deserves a shot in Formula 1. Yeah, yeah, you're right on this. Um, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't like to see him, like, completely stop for, for a year because that would be... Maybe quite heavy on his career. I don't know. It's something that always kind of scares the the drivers themselves. So uh, it's legit to be worried to be worried about that. Um, yeah, you know what I was thinking of. That's something I, I was also talking about yesterday. Um, the fact that, uh, for example, in MotoGP. Sorry if I dive into MotoGP for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, this rider Andrea Dovizioso is taking a year off because. Uh, <laughs> I don't like to say <laughs> the reasons. Marty, but... when like basically this rider Andrea Dovizioso, like nobody knows who Andrea Dovizioso is. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure that everyone that listens to this podcast has a vague idea of who Andrea Dovizioso is at least. <laughs> okay, so um, basically he is not going to compete in MotoGP or any other championship, I think, in 2021. And the the biggest worry is um, is that staying like completely off races for for a year, completely away from the paddock, and not doing like test riding roles or anything might uh, end his career. So obviously, it's not the case with Calumilo because he is clearly a younger a younger driver and everything. But it's a it's legit to to worry about these things because it's. It's something serious when you stop for a year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it wouldn't be beneficial to, to Callum, especially because he still hasn't had an actual chance to prove himself in Formula 1. Like, we've seen some people coming back from a one-year hiatus. Like, for example, um, I don't know, Giovinazzi actually came back. And yeah. uh, Ocon, of course, came back. But the thing is, they had already, you know, shown that they were capable of handling a Formula One car in some capacity. Like, this isn't a chance that Eilis was actually given yet. So it wouldn't make sense for a Formula One team to come back to him if he never actually had a a Formula One season uh, under his belt. So, yeah, I'm kind of worried about him. And to be honest, I wish that he could stay another year in Formula 2. Like, at least he stays in the paddock and he stays relevant and he can hopefully win next year. Um, But, I mean, thinking about the FDA in general, uh, I think that Robert Schwartzman was incredibly unlucky this year because he could have been a a serious title contender. He He technically still is a title contender, uh, but, I mean, his chances are very slim. 
Uh, but he could have been such a serious title contender and for a complete rookie, that would have been an amazing achievement for him. Yeah, he, he is one of those drivers who has already shown a lot of talent. And he, yeah, I think he has been absolutely unlucky this year. But, you know, he's young. He's just, uh, he, you know, his career has basically just begun. So uh, I'm sure he have time to, to prove some more. Yeah, he's very young. I'm not even sure he's like, what? 19? It is a 2000 kid, I think. Oh, so, 20. Okay. Yeah, it makes, makes sense. And also, you know, same reasoning honestly applies to uh, Marcus Armstrong. I don't think that Armstrong will eventually rise up to to Formula, Formula One, uh, but I do think he will be a formidable, uh, you know, firepower into the, the Ferrari Academy and hopefully in Competizione GT. I honestly hope to see him in Competizione <laughs> GT someday. And, you know, I mean, we don't really need to, to, to get back on that on the point uh, another time because, I mean, we're at the 11th podcast, so people already know where our position is on the topic. But again, people go like, oh, my God, if you can't make it to Formula One, then your racing career is over. Like, that's absolutely insane. And a crazy amount of talented drivers make some serious money and, you know, serious championships and compete at you know, the highest professional level in endurance entity racing. So I, I wouldn't even see this as, you know, a second option. Like, I, I, I would honestly, I wouldn't complain if anybody focused directly onto a GT career because it's a very reasonable path. Yeah, obviously. You know, it's something that I'm sure we've said plenty of times on this podcast, but the fact that uh, Formula One is the pinnacle of motorsport does not mean that all of the greatest drivers of all time actually compete in Formula One. They may have competed in, in it, but Formula One is not the whole world of motorsport, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, people always, you know, forget that it is a business, just like any other business. Of course, it's also a sport, but, you know, just like in, you know, even the most prestigious of, I don't know, law firms, you don't necessarily have the best lawyers because some people could be there for other reasons, or some people simply could have been unlucky and never actually had a shot at joining that big law firm. It doesn't mean that, you know, every single lawyer in that law firm is actually the best in the world and everyone else is just, you know, one step behind. Like That wouldn't make any, any possible sense. So, yeah, I actually heard that, uh, you know, Grosjean and Magnussen are, you know, heading towards a, an endurance career or are considering an endurance career, which is something that I would really like to see, especially Magnussen. I'm extremely curious about that. I don't think he's made for endurance racing, but I would like to see him try. Yeah, I would like to see them both, to be honest. Like, Grosjean, you can say anything you want about him, but he is a fun guy he's a kind guy so um yeah i mean as a driver i wouldn't know <laughs> to be honest but he's proven himself quite quite a bit like in the past too so i wouldn't like to see him completely out of motorsport to be honest yes 
same. I mean, you don't say 10 years in Formula One just because. Like, yeah. You, you have to be a talented guy for that. So, yeah, it doesn't... I, I'm re I really don't like to play into that kind of narrative about Grosjean because I do think he's a respectable driver. Certainly not the greatest driver around and certainly he can be quite a liability, but he deserves our respect. Come on, I mean, everyone on that grid deserves a respect for that matter. The amount of abuse that certain drivers uh, receive is, first of all, like insane. Honestly, people have nothing better to do, <laughs> apparently. And secondly, absolutely unjustified and unjustifiable. So yeah, we, we don't play into that kind of joke. Absolutely, because, you know, we're not drivers. We, we really don't know what it's like to, to be in their shoes. So, you know, we can just I don't know, judge is a bit of a big word, but we can just comment on, on what we see from outside. So we, we really have no no right over saying that driver is shit or that driver is amazing. Yeah, and actually, like, fun fact about this, Matti, I, I don't think I told you yet, so yeah, it would be fun to hear for everybody. Uh, so basically, guys, in case you don't know, I've taken up a new new job for a GT team. I'm doing PR and communications. And on the side, like we're having off-season testing and I'm basically collecting the requests from drivers who want to join our off-season testing program. So I need to check, you know, their racing licenses, their CVs to see if they're actually eligible to come. Uh, because, I mean, the, the bureaucracy in motorsport is not something that people actually understand, but it's not like, you know, I see a guy down the road that, you know, has a perfect response time to the, the, the street lights and I'm like, okay, you come and jump into a $300,000 uh, car and try not to destroy it. Like, you need precise licenses for that, of course. Um, and basically, you cannot imagine, guys, how many emails we get from, you know, ordinary people going like, I have no racing experience, but I'm very good with my street car, with my road car. So can I please have a go with your racing car? And we're there like, are you guys serious? Like, to be honest, you think that because you're a good driver, like uh, uh, on a normal situation, I don't know, on the motorway, on the highway, you could actually, actually sustain any more than two minutes into a racing car. Like, I don't understand how people can actually believe that. We gotta love them. What can you say? We gotta love them. It's insane. And another, another, you know, this kind of... People, I don't even know. Like, how can you be so unaware of the reality in front of you? <laughs> Basically, um, we were requesting for, you know, basic uh, data like name, surname, ID and stuff like that. And of course, the number of the racing license, because again, we have to check the license. It's not that like I can give you a GT3 car and put you on the track. It would be, you know, a danger for you, a danger for us, a danger for the car it would be a danger for everybody. And basically, he sent me, uh, you know, all the details and his supposed racing uh, license number. And I was like, 
this is not a, a license number I actually recognize. Like, this sounds weird, but I understand that, you know, there are international racing licenses, national racing licenses. I cannot know every single racing license, you know, type or structure around. So I was like, I'm sorry, I couldn't check into the database. Can you please send, you know, a copy uh, of your racing license? I don't know, a screenshot, a copy, uh, a photo or whatever. He actually sent me a driving license. The guy thought that a driving <laughs> license was enough. <laughs> and I'm like, these are the kind of people that end up saying that Lewis Hamilton only won because of the car. Like, <laughs> these are the, those people. I, I, I'm 100% sure about that. I'll send you my license. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Marte Jurin, you can come. <laughs> but Thank yeah, it was, in, it was insane, guys. Anyway, uh, Marti, we're, you know, dangerously hitting the for 45 minutes mark again. Yeah. So we should probably wrap it up. And um, guys, for our last episode coming up, of course, uh, next month, we actually have a special for you, right, Marti? Yes, we do. Do we want to announce it right now? Yeah, come on, let's announce it. Anger <laughs> for the listeners and I will announce it, okay? Um, so... Are you ready? Yeah, basically, you can go. <laughs> basically, we will finally do our astrology special episode. So get ready. It's surprisingly be highly requested. I didn't want to do it at the at the very beginning, but you know, people keep asking for this, and I'm like, okay, let's give the people what they want. And Marty, of course, is over the moon about this. So yeah, yeah, guys, be ready. Absolutely. I mean, it makes sense, though, because, you know, at the end of the year, you usually have your, you know, yearly horoscope, right, Marty, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Like in Italy, there is this very popular personality <laughs> uh, called Paolo Fox, uh, basically. <laughs> <laughs> basically uh, does. Yeah, yeah. He, he just uh, kind of says what, what the next year is going to be like for any zodiac sign up there. And it's obviously not reliable <laughs> according to reality in the end, but it's fun and we'll do something a bit more serious, I think. Uh, I don't want to do horoscope or anything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a love project, but we're still not that silly. So uh, we can actually do something kind of kind of fun with it. So thank you so much, guys, for joining for this month as well. And as always, we will see you on the 27th of December. Yeah, guys, thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you in a month.